September. It's almost the end of September even. But it wasn't this cold yesterday. I think I just came back from church realizing, oh, it's quite you cold. You actually go to church? Oh, yeah, some, some of us believe in God. You know, like you, uh, <laughs> ungodly people pa- parading my teal. How dare you? Some yes. of us, some some of us believe in God in a quieter way. Thank you. I see some of your bl- blasphemous tweets. <laughs> yeah. No, never stop asking questions. I always ask questions. You know? No, no, no. That's that's what you be saying now. The day you run for office. How did I know you were going to say that, Michael? You must stop being so predictable. I well, that's what you do. You delete all your tweets. <laughs> you be taking pictures. <laughs> I definitely have to delete my Twitter when I run for office. I have tweeted some things. Oh my goodness. You will now wrap your head up in a hijab. Of and course. No, no, not even a hijab, a ghillie, like a Yoruba style ghillie. With, exactly. With all the beads and acting, yes. like, acting like I can't speak a word of English. Yes, yes. we don't take pictures with imams, explaining how you went to an Islamic school and how. And you know what? I did. I went to an Islamic school. I went to an Anglican boarding school. So I'm ready. I'm ready, baby. Like, don't believe yourself. I'm learning Igbo. I'm learning Hausa. Listen, by the time I run for office, I'll be Wazobia herself. You don't even know. Don't, Just don't. assume there'll be a Nigerian by the time you decide to run yeah, for office. Easy. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what the thing is? I've thought about this. Oh, before I go on, let me introduce the show. Welcome, listeners. Welcome to the newly titled. The Pokey Flat series. That is the Pokey Flat series. So it's a series just with me interviewing people on subject matters that I'm interested in. So that will be politics, music, art, fashion, photography, whatever takes my fancy. It'll mostly be Nigerians in a diaspora, and from time to time we'll have a Nigerian in Nigeria as a guest on the show. So welcome once again, Michael, our best favorite guest. You know, how are you doing? Thank you for having me on the show again. Uh, good afternoon to listeners. I am well. I'm always well. Good, good, good. So before that little introduction, you were saying if there is a Nigeria by the time I'm ready to run. Yes. No, I'm very uh, worried because I was having this conversation with uh, someone a few days ago. The I think the, the issue is the, the way Nigeria is structured as a colonial state uh-huh. and... It was gifted to the, what I would say, in quotations, the political north mm-hmm. as a parting gift from the British. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has happened since our independence is, well, with the exception of two presidents, uh, Abacha and Buhari, it has always taken the intelligence of the northern intelligentsia to keep the system going because they understood that, look, the only way to maintain this gift is to make sure that we appease other parts of the country so they don't make too much noise or agitate too much. But the only two people who don't seem to understand that concept are Buhari and Abacha. Okay, well, before, before we get too, too far into this, I think a bit of historical context will help. Um, so I studied, well, one of the degrees that I studied at school was history. And yeah. interestingly, I read, a, I read a, a book once on colonial England in the 1900s or whatever, on the, or in the 1800s. The reason the British took a shine to the Northerners is that their, their aristocracy, uh, hegemony, whatever, resembled loosely the British one. So you had a, you had a firm aristoc- arist- you had a firm aristocracy, you had the Hoi Polloi, you had your sultan who was, you know, the monarch, whatever, 
And, you know, there was a firm educator class, the underclass, etc., etc. So they were lettered. The northerners were lettered and they read Arabic. They could, you know, unlike the southerners, and I think they they examined the Yoruba, who had a sort of a publican situation going on, but it was also aristocratic. So it was a little bit confusing for them, I suppose. And the Igbos, who were very much... You know, uh, uh, I don't know what the right political term is. Who didn't Republican. Really, yeah, to the max, to the max. So they didn't really do aristocracy until the British or, or monarchy until the British introduced that to them. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of a little bit of backstory. It's not like uh, 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 the British just chose randomly. And this isn't me justifying that, by the way. I'm just saying there were some historical similarities or preferences for the Northerners based on a set of facts that were on ground when the British got there. But carry on. Well, yes, there were... It, it wasn't just the facts on the ground because when they came to all three regions, mm. the education system in all three areas was was poor. But they made a deliberate decision to invest in education down south and not do the same... Well, it wasn't north. a deliberate decision. I think as, as part of the ceasefire, they negotiated up north... They weren't allowed to evangelize, so they couldn't, you know, they, they, the education was through the church. So if we can't evangelize, then evangelize rather than, you know, you don't get the schools. And even, I think I read this, a link to this article on Twitter once where a sultan of a town negotiated with the British stopped the railway before they got to his town because he did not want the people getting too exposed. I must find a link for this article because... It's something to say. You have to sort of back this up. So I will definitely try to look for the link and post it. Well, but what you're saying uh, does not uh, negate my point because the point I'm making is down south, there were many kings who also felt the same about the British coming to their towns. They didn't want their religion eroded. They didn't want their children going to school. Mm. But down south, the British didn't care. They tore up the traditions and the institutions. And we, and had, the, we had the ports also, remember? So yes, I suppose that worked. That was advantageous in a respect. Yes, but the, but the British tore up everything and insisted that people must go to school. But down south, they didn't impose the same requirements because for them, they found it useful to have, because it's the concept of divide and rule. They did that everywhere. Mm-hmm. So It makes, it makes it, administering the conquered territories much easier for them. Yes, and what you do is you take the area that is weakest in terms of education mm-hmm. and give them power. And what that means is they'll be more likely to be dependent on you. Because I saw a paper that uh, Lord Lugard wrote, mm-hmm. and he specifically analyzed everybody and realized that, look, the Igbos and the Yorubas down south, if you gave them power with the level of education, it would be very difficult to manipulate them. Mm. So it'd be easier to do it up north. So it was a, I would say it was deliberate design. Obviously, the northern leaders, too, had their reasons for supporting it because they, too, wanted to maintain the hierarchical society that they had. Precisely, precisely. But the British too could, if the British wanted, they could have dismantled the whole thing. But it was also beneficial to them mm-hmm. to because of the divide and rule policy. So, okay, back to modern day. You were saying, yes. So, based on that, that's how Nigeria was structured right from independence. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, one of the reasons why 2015 was earth shattering is the fact that the core north and the Niger Delta had always had a sort of close allegiance or alliance. So what would happen was the core north realized that, look, the wealth of the country came from the Niger Delta. So, okay, I know as politicians we're going to dominate the country, 
but we have to be sensitive enough to recognize that this is where the money comes from. So let's at least treat these guys as equal partners, even though they're not. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to, but we'll at least pay them a bit of attention. Yeah, lip service, you know. Yes. So that's what they did with Okotia Bo. If you saw, uh, even with Gowon, Gowon had called uh, key Najidel Tans or Southerners in his government because it was part of the whole mm-hmm. uh, appeasement strategy. But Abacha and Buhari are the two people who don't seem to understand that concept. In the way their mind works is, we dominate this country, so you must know your place. We don't, we don't need to give you anything to know your place. Mm-hmm. If this was Babangida, Babangida would have said, look, we're making $10 billion a year from this region. Mm-hmm. Even if we bribe them with 100 million out of 10 billion, it's still fine if that's mm-hmm. what we, it will take to keep them quiet because we still have about 9.8 or 9.9 billion to spend for ourselves. All right. So that's, that's what Yaradwan's calculation was when they paid the amnesty. They said, look, it's easier to bribe warlords with 100 million and keep the rest. But Abacham Buhari don't understand that uh, intelligent reasoning. As far as they're concerned, their own approach is to scatter everywhere, as they say in Nigeria. And just insist that you 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 know your place. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, I'm not. I understand the amnesty. I think it was necessary at the time, given that we needed to do something. It was a short term solution. It's unfortunate, as far as I'm concerned, that it's taken a more longer term feel. Um, I think it's it's bribery for a very few, um, and it can't be sustained. But I suppose it's a way to shut people up. And stop them from demanding the more fair, the more justiciable uh, uh, outcome, which is devolution. But we'll come to that later. All right. So, again, to refer you to the statement you made to me earlier, that's if Nigeria still exists by the time I want to run for office. Um, I don't think Nigeria is going to split. Um, I, I've thought about it a lot. You know, I think about Nigeria a lot like you. I don't think it's going to split. I think... It's not in the international community's interest to have a country such as Nigeria split. Not even in, not because they care about us, but immigration for them is going to be massive. You know, they're already Libya is already a problem. Streams of Nigerians into Italy and Southern Europe every yeah. every week, and you don't you can't imagine what that's going to look like should Nigeria split with its massive population. So I don't I don't think it's going to split. I think they will do everything to stop that split from uh, from taking place the the issue at hand however is what nigeria will look like after let, let's posit that buhari runs a second term and he wins mm-hmm. what nigeria would look like in the event of a continued buhari presidency one and two in the event that uh namdi kanu who will come to in a minute succeeds in getting the southeast behind him in a body so in a fashion they all align with what namdi kanu is saying how then do we maintain the status quo? Which I think is hanging... I genuinely believe the status quo is hanging on by a thread right now. I think the forces are gathering uh, to oppose what obtains currently. And I think it's not going to be the same for much longer. Right now, the Southwest, no. the Southwest for good and ill, is waiting on its chief political architect to make a statement. And I suppose it would be impolitic for him to say anything given that the alliance is very much one that he he helped to spearhead. So, yeah, these these are some of my conclusions and observations. What are your takes? Well, I, I think I have, uh, I think, probably three comments. Well, the first is, from my study of history, I've seen countries designed like Nigeria, 
mm-hmm. and none of them still exist. You have Yugoslavia, you have uh, even the original India, they had to split uh, into Pakistan and then uh, Bangladesh. Bangladesh yeah. you, you have the Soviet Union. Uh, looking at Nigeria from a purely business perspective, mm-hmm. it's it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And obviously because of the industry I work in, the insurance industry, mm-hmm. I know, for example, that there are people already buying insurance policies for this very uh, reality, mm-hmm. that the country is not sustainable. So some multinationals are already buying uh, a type of political risk insurance mm-hmm. to protect the assets in the event that the country splits. So it's, 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 it's products wise. that are being sold. So. Mm-hmm. So, but the other reality is the. I think we give too much uh, relevance to the international community. Yes, it may not be in their interests for Nigeria to split, but the international community is not God. They don't. They, their powers are, are limited. You see what's happening in Libya. That's not what they want. But there's no. They have no power to do anything. Look at Afghanistan. Look at Iraq. If if they had their way. They'd, they'd use force to pacify those areas. But we, 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 I, I don't think we should compare ourselves to Iraq and Afghanistan. Iraq and Afghanistan, they're historical, and I mean millennia-old historical uh, uh, differences that fuel the continuation of those uh, hotspots. Well, and, well, and, well, and, well, that's the reality of, in fact, I think we're very similar because that's the reality of Nigeria. You're having, you have a country of 300 ethnic groups that have had probably centuries-old divisions as well, and were put together in an artificial construct. I don't know, I don't know about centuries-old division. I mean, there were skirmishes and in, in, intra-tribal wars and all that, but I don't, apart from the Fulani invasion, the House of Fulani invasion of, of Yoruba land, I don't know that we've had major... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if we've had major inter-ethnic wars prior to well, independence. Yeah. Well, I think the civil war, for example, was quite major. And was it was it really resolved? All that happened was one side was no, it wasn't resolved. It wasn't was, resolved. was crushed. So the, the conclusion, the conclusion of the civil war is why we're, we're at where we are today. Yes. So the point I'm making is there is, from my own observation, mm-hmm. there is nothing inevitable about Nigeria staying together. No, I, I I agree. I think in the in the in the near term. So I'm thinking in in ten twenty years. I don't really see it splitting. But who knows what could happen after that? You know. Well, yes. So, so that's my first point. I think mm-hmm. the international community, even if they want it, they don't have that level of resource because you're talking about pouring in hundreds of billions of dollars. And truth be told, Nigeria was a bit valuable because of oil and gas, but there's no oil and gas anymore. Donald well, Trump in America is not that just interested. It's not as valuable as it once was. The yes. alternatives are really gaining ground. So. Yes. And Britain is concerned with uh, Brexit and its own issues. The Chinese don't really are doing business. They don't really have an opinion either way. If the mm-hmm. Chinese conclude that a, a split Nigeria will benefit them business-wise, they'll go ahead, along with it. So nobody has, apart from the 1966 gang, who are interested in subjugating the whole of the rest of the country. I don't think anybody in the international community has a particular uh, view on what should happen. So that's the first point. The second point is, uh, if uh, the capital, if, if Buhari decides to run, to me, he doesn't seem to look well enough, even though he's back, he seems to be disappearing and reappearing. I mean, he doesn't seem to be doing much. He's coming back to London. In yes, exactly. London, so. To uh, uh, part of me even suspects that all these problems he's created was because he was going back to London. So this time, nobody asked for him to return. They just say, "Look, stay there." Or... <laughs> I think you're giving him far too much credit. 
<laughs> yeah, because literally that's that's probably going to be next hashtag London or resign or something. Because I, I, I think I, I think I think he he just wanted to make his presence felt. That's 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 my. Well, yes, he's come back in 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 three weeks and he's caused chaos everywhere. So this time, I don't think anybody's going to ask him to come back. They just say, look, Oga, it's fine. Stay there till twenty nineteen. So, assuming he runs, the real question is, can he win? I'm still not convinced. I don't that... think he can. I mean, look, and 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 this really, really, really depends. And to be very honest with you, the the narrative can be shaped in any way. I mean, you've got very talented people who can do that. But on ground, his strong points are what the, the his strong regions are the northeast and to some extent the southwest, dependent on what the uh, southern half of the country does. Yeah, wants to do. And what alternative does he really have? We're just going to be be stuck with a stalemate, really, to be quite frank, because if Buhari runs, what happens? Well, I, I think if he decides to, the, the, a few things could happen. The northern elite could sit down and tell him, look, you have to go. Because they are not, even because they were the ones that removed Abacha. It wasn't really the, the southern press that removed Abacha, the southern pressure. The north itself realized that, look, this dude is an obstacle to the hegemony because he's behaving like a wild animal. And you cannot govern a colonial state like wild animal you have to have tact so my suspicion is they'll probably do the same with buhari sitting and say look you you have to go so so that's what if i'm a betting man i'll put money on the fact that the northern elite will slide tackle him out of office all right wait but, wait wait we'll, we'll come back to this intermittently let's just deal with the main issues on ground so yes the number one issue on ground is ipob ipob is an entity first before we then dis, uh, discuss the military invasion, in quotes. I, I won't say invasion because, it's, you know, it's Nigeria. The military incursion, perhaps, into the southeast. Um, yeah, let's start from there. So Namdi Kanu, who we've discussed several times on the show um, this week, for reasons unbeknownst to most people, the Nigerian army rolled into Abia State, which is the home state of the IPOB movement. Um, I'm not certain if the governor was aware I'd like to think he was told. Whether he was asked as to the wisdom of the move is another story, but he was told. And, um, yeah, things seem to be getting out of hand a little bit. So what's your take on IPOB as an organization, first and foremost? Let's start there. Bearing bearing in mind, listeners, we understand that neither one of us is evil, but it's current affairs, so we're going to discuss it from that angle. All right, go on, Michael. Well, from my observations and uh, reading and talking to people who have worked with the group, including a metropolitical lobbyist here in England who has done work for IPOB. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I think they're different from, you know, you have APGA, which is sort of an Igbo political party. Mm -hmm. I think IPOB is different from them. APGA is interested. And we had MASOB. Yes. Movement for the actualization of the sovereign state of Biafra. That's right. Now, so the problem is... With Masob, for example, with Rafa Wazirike, I straight enough, I met him once at my uncle's funeral. Mm-hmm. And just from observation of him, he struck me as someone who was not really interested in a Biafra struggle for him. It was an avenue to make money. So he just did all that so that governors could see him on equal terms, share contracts with him. And that's why, to an extent, Masob has sort of fizzled out once they invited him to the table. Mm-hmm. He's calmed down. Abga, on the other hand, is perhaps like an Igbo national political party that was created in response to a large extent Obasanjo's 
mismanagement of the PDP, and they wanted to get in good governors in their region to govern the place. Mm-hmm. So they, they are interested in the democratic process within Nigeria. Mm-hmm. IPOB, on the other hand, from what I've seen, discussions I've had, they're not interested in any kind of democratic engagement with Nigeria. What they are saying is, we want out. We don't want to be part of elections. We're not asking for a seat in parliament. We're not asking for a ministerial position. We want out of Nigeria. And I might be wrong, but from my... I've I've listened to a lot of Namdi Kalu's uh, messages. I've watched a few of his videos. He doesn't strike me as someone that is interested in... He's obviously a megalomaniac and narcissist, but he doesn't strike me as someone who is interested in joining a political process. I think IPOB, the movement, is saying enough is enough. We want out of Nigeria. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't agree with your assessment of Kanu, um, but we might come to that later. Uh, So, that's IPOB in a nutshell. So, Kanu has shifted base from London. And actually, I spoke to an observer, a very informed observer earlier, and he said to me that Nigeria seems to be underestimating the financial backing that IPOB has. IPOB, yes. IPOB were able to get transmitters into the southeast that cost north of a million dollars. Um, yes. Believe that money did not come from Kanu himself, so there is also that. But anyway, so I, that's IPOB in a nutshell, guys. And now, after uh, Namdi Kanu's release, the interest in IPOB really ballooned, and they seem to have strong. I don't know if it's majority or overwhelming, but it's certainly strong, strong support. In some, if not most, if not all, southeast states, plus a few Niger Delta states as well. So, Nambi Kanu, for all intents and purposes, is definitely a powerful man. He commands a large body of people. So, yes. the government has now taken umbrage to his continued pronunciations about Nigeria and has seen fit to roll into Abia State. Now, the wisdom of this move, like I alluded before, is up in the air. Now, I'm going to state my position, and this is my position goes thus. Yes. It was a mistake for the military to go into Abia State. Nobody likes to feel like they're under siege. Whether it was IPOB that started attacking the military or whatever, that's that to me is very much beside the point. It was a mistake to go into Abia to try to root out uh, Namdi Kanu because once something is that organic, you cannot use the military to defeat it. It's Nigeria has to present itself as a viable and a credible alternative to a feature that Namdi Kanu promises. And to be very honest, Nigeria has no credibility in the eyes of a large swathe of its population. Okay? So yes. on that front, Nigeria has already lost. And then to roll into the southeast with its military, given the particular context of Nigeria rolling in with arms into that region, is a massive fail. And what it shows me, actually, what it shows me is that we have a government, and largely a political elite, not just the government, we have a political elite that isn't aware of history, isn't aware of how what, what kind of roles history still plays in the psyche of Nigerians as a whole, and by observation in the psyche of people in the Southeast in particular. So first you had the Python dance in, in December, now you have Python dance too in in uh, September. The optics are wrong. The optics of a, of, a, of a northern president, a largely northern military, rolling once again into the southeast to agitate the local population and to, to do things without consultation 
without agreement, without an end goal, without a stated goal, is only to rile up people and to exacerbate whatever bad situation currently obtains, right? That's my overall assessment. Well, I, 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 I'll say I partly agree and partly disagree. Because what, what I think it is, is I think there's probably two or three sides to the issue. The first is, there's obviously a political angle, which is there are elections coming up in, I think, Anambra soon, and there'll be elections to be held in 2019. So we must also bear in mind that if you're looking to rig an election, then oftentimes you need your military to be well uh, represented in the area. So that's what some politicians will do. Obasanjo is a good example of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I can see a political reason why you need troops there. You need to make an excuse for troops to be there so you can do stuff. Well, in, with terms, in terms of rigging the number elections, but yes. the, the military isn't in a number. The military is in Abia. Yes, but Anambra is not far from Abia. You, you first of all need a reason why military should be there. That's and true. then you can then engage in maneuverings if you wish to. But, so that, that is one angle. But I, I, I obviously admit that I don't know the intentions. But the, the one thing I know is this. The, the first thing is, you said it seems to be a problem of the uh, political elite. That's where I'll disagree. Because uh, obviously I'm not one to... Uh, insult leaders because I believe you should respect people. But in in a non-insulting way, the problem is not the political elites. The problem is Buhari. And with all due respect to his office, the man is unintelligent, like a bacha. So the man does not understand how to diplomatically engage with people. He, in his mind, once he says something, Everybody has to do it. So the fact that there's a group of people agitating against him even annoys him more. That how is it possible that I'm telling you people something and you're not listening to me? You saw his, his uh, countenance during his last presidential media chat in December 2015. Mm-hmm. As soon as the question came up about IPOP and Ebos, you saw how angry he got that, what do they want? That it's almost as if you, they are disturbing him. He has told them that, look, I'm the president, so you all should leave me alone. So that's why, if you remember, in 1985 or 84... How am I going to remember? You were young, okay, from history. You remember that period? Was I even born? (laughs) You had had a a government headed by Buhari, and apart from himself and, I think, two others, his own Supreme Military Council removed him because of his intransigence and his inability to engage with people in an intelligent way. All he understood was, I give an order and everybody has to obey it. So that's, that's what we're dealing with now. And what, is even, what even makes it more annoying and disgusting, quite frankly, is the fact that this problem began because a group of people that call themselves Arewa Youth stood up in Arewa House, not even in a secret location, saying Igbos must leave the country by the 1st of October. And you have a president who comes back. He's not even bothered with that. His attorney general says we cannot prosecute them because if we touch them, there might be problems. And then you suddenly turn on... Um, um, hang on, hang on. Wait, let's examine that for a moment. Let's examine that for a moment. Whilst I think, whilst I think that something should have been done with the Arawa youth, I think there's a point there. Do you know why? Why? The arrest of Nandi Kanu legitimized him in the eyes of a lot of people. Right? A lot of people. People who weren't even bothered with him before. 
But, I mean, he was arrested for nothing other than... Well, well why was he arrested? He's an agitator. He's a loudmouth. Yeah. All these things that so many Nigerians are for living day to day. We see them on TV. We read their articles. We, we see them on... You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, this brought him to bigger national prominence and legitimized him in the eyes of a lot of people. These Arab youth are a bunch of ragtags. Okay, and to be very honest, I do accept the suggestion that there are bigger people behind them because for them to have access to Arawa House to issue such a statement speaks to the fact that, you know, they're not working alone. However, you arrest them, the media trial, the, the media coverage that follows gives these people some kind of legitimacy as leaders who can speak on behalf of Arawa people, etc., etc. I don't know what the best course of action is, but I would not dismiss entirely the idea that in giving these people more publicity, arresting them, etc., would have given them some kind of legitimacy. But I will admit that I don't know what the best step to have taken is. Well, in, in this case, we know the history of violence in the North. It had been going on as far back as, I think, 1940s or 1950s, mm -hmm. where they've been attacking Igbos. Oh, 1930s or so. Yes. Mm -hmm. Every single time there's a crisis in Nigeria, Igbos become the victims. Mm -hmm. So for a group to stand up and issue a quick notice to the whole of Nigeria to Igbos, or northern Nigeria to Igbos, mm -hmm. and the president thinks nothing should be done about that. Well, if he says, well, uh, if, if they think, well, he's not intelligent to do so. So how is it then intelligent to go to the southeast and introduce exactly. op Operation Python exactly. Dance 2? Exactly. So the question is, there's clearly a double standard here. And it's some who say, well, it's it, it might just be a coincidence, but I've seen enough evidence to realize that this is Buhari and his team's mindset at I work. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think, as in as much as I said that they don't pay attention to history, I think it's, in many ways it's the fear of history that has driven this action as well. Um, I think a lot of people see the natural inclination towards IPOB's message from the South, from a lot of Southeast people, clearly not all, from a lot of Southeastern young people especially, who don't know enough to to know what war is like, but are dealing with the psychological effects of the war. Do you understand? And where you can say Igbos are very successful in all in all aspects of, of the Nigerian existence. Igbos are, you know, usually the prime example of Nigerian success. The point is for a lot of young people, they're not partaking in the success. They're jobless, they're aimless. It's not just an Igbo problem. It's all over the country. But the as an extra, they are also dealing with the psychological remnants of a war. Well, but the, the point is, all these things are true, but the reality is there's a reason why Buhari always prefers people of his ethnic stock. He treats them with, with greater deference and kindness than he does to people of the Southeast in particular. It's because, truth be told, Buhari is an ethnic supremacist. And you, it's clear from his history. I mean, even an ambassador, Ambassador Shanu, who campaigned for Buhari, admitted that, look, when I was an ambassador, this man traveled with me and did not say a word to me. Even though I, I was a senior foreign, 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 officer, uh, foreign ministry official, he didn't say a word to me all through the trip. The only person he spoke to was the ambassador when we got there. And because the ambassador was Hausa Fulani, they spoke Fulani. That's, that's the only person he spoke to and ignored the others. So... These are not things that are made up. Even El Rufai himself said Buhari is an ethnic supremacist. So if you study his history, we know what he is. And this is a manifestation of, of, his, of, his, of his internal bigotry that um, has been inflicted I, I upon Nigerians. I won't, I, won't, I won't comment on that 
either way because I don't know. I haven't read these same things you refer to and I don't know, truth be told. And I think that the charge of ethnic supremacy is one that's too easy to level at some point. No, no, it's not. It's not, I'm not I don't make these accusations lightly. I've studied enough of Buhari to know who he is. Buhari is an ethnic supremacist. Mm. Like I said, I don't know, so I won't contribute. But what I can see, what I do know, is that the federal government is hell-bent on causing more trouble for Nigeria than it can currently deal with. So anyway, the history of IPOB, the military incursion into IPOB. Now, let's speculate between you and me what the yes. Southeast leadership has to say about this. What is what is their next play? Because the elections in Anambra will go ahead. Participation is another story. You might have a situation where only 20% of people turn out to vote, if that. But the point is a winner will be declared, right? Yes. But those who observe will be able to see that uh, uh, what's, what's this, what's this where apathy has really set in. Because I, I believe that apathy has set in all over Nigeria, but in particular the Southeast. And I think if we're looking at PU turnouts, we will be able to deduce that apathy has really set in. And that in many ways is as dangerous as non-participation. Well, the, the, I don't think the issue is apathy. It, it is apathy in a sense, in, in the sense that uh, many of the voters, probably in the southeast, are more, more or less, and are more becoming more and more enlightened. and realize that look, the issues that we're facing go beyond the ballot box. We we'll vote, even if we vote in APGA or PDP or APC, they might make some marginal improvements. But there are some real issues that can only be addressed by some sort of constitutional conference. And as long as we don't address these issues, then they don't really see the point in voting. And that takes me back to my original point about Nigeria split not being, uh, or Nigeria splitting being more likely than not. The reality is we've been running a colonial state, but the problem with the colonial state is it is also a pyramid scheme. Yes. You can keep bribing and cajoling people, but it gets to a point where... The money is even running out, so... Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> not enough money to share anymore, and the reality is facing you. And my fear is this IPOP thing... I might be wrong, but I don't think this IPOP thing is something you can buy away no, with it's people. No, it's not going away. It's not going yeah. Because Nambi Kanu is not paying the people turning out for him. Chata Mwanze wrote an article once that he went to Abia to Nambi Kanu's base and there were upward of 20,000 young people there doing nothing. Yes. Just there. So, they, they weren't bribed. They weren't paid. In many instances, they probably used their own money to print the regalia and whatever have you because they believe in something. Well, yes, but, but that's the point even... Uh, I'm sure you remember uh, De Klerk in South Africa. He came into power on, under the National Party and was just as extremist or bigoted as the previous leaders. Mm-hmm. But he had the emotional intelligence to study the protests and realize that, look, the black movement has gotten to the point where the tide has turned forever. Mm-hmm. That is better we negotiate a system now that at least we have the power to do then allow them literally overrun us and we'll become totally uh, victims in the new system. Mm-hmm. And that is what needs to happen in Nigeria. I think the first, a few people, Obasanjo has hinted at something that has hinted at that, but uh, Babangida has even made it clear. He says, look, it's time to restructure. Atiku has said the same thing so, because so I wait, think wait, wait, wait. these guys are more emotionally intelligent. They can see that the tide is turning. Wait, wait. This is one thing that annoys me. In my in my preference for Nigeria remaining one, yes, 
I also imagine that there will be a time where the country will be built on more equitable principles and standards, okay? Yes. They keep saying to the Southeast, go to the parliament. Go and make your grievances felt via the ballot box. Go and, do you know what? It dawned on me, what, two days ago? I mean, obviously I've always known, but I just sat down and I thought about it. If I were from the Southeast, I wouldn't see the point. Do you know well, that's my point, do exactly. Why, do you know why I wouldn't see the point? They, they're already starting off on a loser, okay? Each major region in Nigeria has more members of parliament than the Southeast. So let's, yeah. let's agree that all Southeast parliamentarians are on the same footing. Yes, they can't all get anything that, done. All that needs to happen is for another region to oppose them completely, and that's it. You've, well, got, you've got five states, you've got 15 senators. How many do the, do the other states have? I mean, the Southwest has uh, a three times six. The Northeast, Northwest, they all have three times six. Only the Southwest has three times five. That's, that's senators, not to speak of members of the House of Assembly. So they're already starting off on a loser, and you keep saying to people, come to the table. How? Why? Well, well, well that's the uh, point I've been making, which is all a lot of these uh, politicians say it's 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 just they just mouth platitudes. They know it's it's meaningless statements. It's just the way when we had the height of discrimination in America, they kept saying, "Well, there's nothing wrong with segregation of schools because the schools are of equal quality." Well, they knew it was a lie that white schools were better than black schools. So it's the same argument they're using. They're telling you. Go, go to the ballot box or bring your grievances to Parliament. That's the politically correct way of telling you that, look, we're not interested in what you say. Take it to Parliament because we know nothing will get done if you take it to the Senate. So that, that's the reason why they I'm take saying... Take it to look, the Senate, they take it to the House of Assembly. Michael, if yes. every single Southeastern parliamentarian is on that side, yes. they're already on a loser. Exactly. That's, but our politicians know the, uh, the likes of Buhari. Buhari knows that. No. That's why when they give speeches saying, oh, it should be resolved via the parliament, I they know what they're know, saying. I don't even know that he knows that, to be honest. But, well, he knows. But, He's not, but, what, but, but see, see, what the... I rate Nandi Kanu for one thing, which is his insistence on on his position that he started with. I mean, I think he's a charlatan, etc. But I admire that insistence on his original position, which is a referendum. Okay. Yes. How is a referendum going to come about? They need to obtain it in Parliament, which is why I think a referendum is a wrong message. Do you know why? Because they can never win that argument. He's not looking to win the argument in Parliament. What How he's trying else to is do... a, revelation, a rev, uh, referendum going to come about? Well, the, what Anandi Kanu is trying to do is, in politic, by being in political speak, he wants to make Nigeria ungovernable, not via violence, but by raising the consciousness of the Southeast to the point where the status quo becomes untenable. Because the Nigerian state cannot handle protests. I know they claim to have a powerful no, army, but can't. the reality of the situation is once more than 100,000 people rise up, the Nigerian army the doesn't know what to do. In, the pa- extreme panic sets in. But yes. so, so, so here's the thing, here's the thing, right, because... Like I said, if I was from the southeast, imagine me and my current interest as I am now in Nigerian politics, and I was now Igbo, lie yes. lie to the lie lie. I would never have it. This this go to the parliament stuff is a ruse. It's a lie because you have designed it such that okay, this region lost the war. You've designed it in a manner that they will forever be put upon politically. Yes. And Yet you're saying let's address this via legal means that you designed that they were not party to. 
So yes, but you know, but that's my my point is, Namdi Kalu is intelligent. He knows that he's a megalomaniac, but he's also intelligent. He's seeing that all he's doing is raising the consciousness to the point where once one million people hit the streets in the southeast, then there's nothing my yeah, Nigerian military can do. What are you going to do? Hope, Shoot one million people? I hope it happens. I so, hope I hope it happens from a very selfish point of view. I mean, I don't wish for any young person, any person to lose their lives to Nigeria's military who not who are notorious for not caring a jot about fellow Nigerians, right? I don't wish for that to happen and may God prevent that. How, yes. However, I wish for Namdu Kanu's message of equity outside of Nigeria, even though I think it's unrealistic, but that's not my place to say because I'm not Igbo. Igbo people have a right to aspire for their own nation if that is what they want. Yes. Right? I wish for a situation whereby millions of people turn out on the street and protest at the very least this unfair status quo. Because we can't claim to be running a country where we acknowledge, let's, I mean, I know you're a minority, Michael, sorry, where we admit and acknowledge that there are three major ethnic groups, right? And yes. at the outset, you have diminished the political presence and power of one group, you have elevated by means of constitution another ethnic group, and the second yeah. ethnic group is the power broker between you two. Now, the but, second ethnic group is better off because from time to time there will be that's the Yoruba. From time yeah. to time they will be at the table, they will be the decider, whatever, from time to time. But it seems that Nigeria has been permanently designed for the Igbo to never have an equal seat at the table. Well, if if um, I if I were from the southeast, this would be completely unpalatable to me, and I would not be, I would not be willing to entertain anybody in anything that tells me to toll the lines that have been designed by people who never wish for me to have an equal voice. Well, but but that is the point I'm making. The, the problem is that's what I said. I said Buhari and Abacha belong to the school of in quotations know your place. They're surprised that. Namdi, Kano, and Co are agitating because they expect people of the Southeast to know their place. The difficulty is, like I think we discussed this before, I met uh, a consultant to IPOB in London who does uh, PR lobbying and stuff like that. And from my conversations with him, the kind of money flowing into the movement is from the millions of successful Igbo people outside of Nigeria. Yes, of people course. who are top surgeons, top lawyers, top bankers, mm -hmm. who don't understand the concept of knowing their place. Why should I know my place? Who are you to tell me to know my place? The idea of knowing your so, place is dead, Michael. As oil money dies, that idea is dying alongside it. Right? Yes. So these people have made money and they can understand why they should be second-class citizens in their own country. And that's, that's the... It's not just even in the southeast. Even in the south-south, uh, where I'm from, people are also coming to that realization. In the southwest, the same thing is happening. Everybody in the country is now standing up and saying, look, we all are Nigerians. We own this place together. It Whatever you guys agreed in 1966 does not apply to me. It doesn't concern us. It doesn't, exactly. Listen, so the thing is now, right, nobody, instead, okay, at, at the conclusion of the war, do you know what the main fear is? And I know there's this very famous interview by this um, Saldana where he was saying instead of hiring a non-Northerner, they would rather hire a white person, an expat. An expatriate. Okay, so... You yes. know the fear, and Eluka says this all the time on Twitter, <laughs> the fear of domination. Yes. The, that is a real fear, right? And yes. that fear, the way it was addressed at the conclusion of the war, even, I think, maybe to an extent during the war, but let's say at the conclusion of the war was, 
instead of extra effort going into the areas where certain regions were lacking to pull them up, they decided to depress all standards in order for everybody to be at the same sorry level. And that is how, that is how the status quo appeals to certain people. Because if you think about it, the power center of Nigeria is really the Northeast. Yes. Right. But the North, okay, so for, for the best example, let's look at the Northeastern Development Commission, which is meant to ape the Niger Delta Development yeah. Commission. It's a Northeastern thing, right? They, they decided that they deserved that. To pass it... The, the Northwest. Oh, North... 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 What is it? Adamawa... Uh, that side. What no, is that? No, the the Northwest is, of Nigeria. Is, is that Northwest or Northeast? Northwest. Adamawa is in the Northwest, right? No, Adamawa is Northeast. The Northwest is the Kaduna, the Katsina. Okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. The power base of Nigeria is the Northwest. Yes. The Northeast got a commission, and in order for it to pass, what happened? Kano had to be included, and in order to make it palatable, so they had a solid northern block, Plateau was also included. Yes. This is how, this is how, because Lagos, Lagos proposed something about getting more VAT money because of all, of all its burdens, etc., etc., that was roundly defeated in Parliament. Anyway, I'm glad it was defeated because I think it's a shortcut to what yes. we really need, so let it be defeated, that's fine. But my, my larger point is, the North, the, the power center in the North, has a way of cajoling other sub-regions, other northern sub-regions, to come to the table to further their own agenda. The yeah. South doesn't have anything like that. And even if we did, we, uh, we, I'm speaking for myself as a Southerner, even if we did, we are on a loser. Like I said, the Southeast has... Tens less, uh, tens fewer parliamentarians than, than other regions, right? So imagine a situation where the south south, the southwest, and the southeast comes together, the northwest, the north central, and the northeast come together. Automatically, we're losing. Well, yes, that that's because, as we were saying earlier, you have a political system that was shaped from the nineteen sixty six settlement, where People were expected to know their place in the in the in the order of money sharing, and the older generation have to a large extent stuck to that agreement because many of them have been traumatized by the war and whatever. You have a younger group of Nigerians who have no concern with that. We're not yet in parliament, but that group does not care. So it is when that group rises up. That's when you now have, you can now upturn the whole system, because when you have someone like that as governor of Lagos State, and then somebody in Abuja is telling you that you're donating all this money via VAT, but you only get a smaller percentage than what Kano or Kaduna gets, then that's when the the, the real war starts. So I, I think we're getting to that point. We'll, we'll soon get there. Okay, so here we are now. What's the next move? Because Nandu Kano has gone into hiding. I mean, the Nigerian, the Nigerian government is going to fail to snuff out IPOB and the sentiment is engendered in people. So what to use a short-term next step? Because I think a lot depends, a lot depends on 2016. And much like when Obasanjo decided that a, a South Southerner had to be involved on the ticket for 2011, or was it 2007? 2007, 
I yeah. think I think we're getting to that point with the southeast. I know that's not what Namdi County wants. I get it, but that's the way. That's the only way Nigeria has of checkmating agitation, putting a name on the ballot. Well, well yeah, that's what they they. I think PDP will probably pick pick Anibo to be running mate to some northern candidates. And my guess is the problem with the APC is I don't think the APC has enough uh, southeastern talent. Not just talent. Pull. They don't have enough southeastern support or credibility. Yes, that's another Buhari failure, which is after he won, there were things he could have done to have won the support, at least the sympathy yeah. of the southeast and south-south. And truth be told, he did nothing. He didn't even try at all. So that's that's a mistake of because that's what I said about his mindset. His mindset is you know your place. It's Buhari. not for me to reach blaming, out to you. Blaming Buhari alone. What about the ACM wing of the APC, the Yoruba side? What have they done? What have we done? I should say we because I'm Yoruba. What have we done in reaching well, out to the southeast? I'll, I'll tell you the truth. This is my, my issue with the southwest wing of the APC is I know from reliable sources that they made these points to Buhari it's not like they didn't tell him. They told him all these things. The only problem is when Buhari failed to listen. My issue with the Southwest APC is there's a point where the politics should have stopped. The moment this man refused to listen to you on these points, that's when you should have broken ranks and said, look, this government is not our government because this is not how we're planning to run Nigeria at all. And I can see if you read between the lines of uh, Bisiya Konde's many statements over the, over the, since 2015, you can see he's hinting at that, that look, many of these things were not part of it. But Tinubu, on the other hand, perhaps because Bisi Akonde is old, there's an age you get to where you have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. But I think Tinubu is still a bit still a bit, bit too political. He hasn't come out and said, look, Buhari is on his own. On points. So that's my real issue. I know they've told Buhari. It's not like they tell him. I, I think what next for Nigeria? Uh, we just have to, I think we've reached the point where you have to pray because you have a man in Asaroku who does not listen. All the Obasanjo has been speaking in coded language in public. Jonathan, a few days ago, called for a Council of State meeting. Babangida, a few months ago, said we should have a, a, a restructuring. Atiku has hinted at that as well. So you can see that because these guys have come public, it means they've told the man in Nasarok privately already, and the dude is not listening. So, okay, Michael, at this Michael, stage, let's be realistic. I mean, yes. and as much as I think that. The Southwest political machine is largely waiting on direction from Tinubu, you know, yes. because I mean, he wields all the power. Right? And as much as I think that, I also think you have to be realistic. They are part of this coalition. It'll be utterly impolitic for Tinubu to come out and say the things you suggest he should say. If you do that, if you do that, you are essentially politically breaking up the country. Because you know, you see yourself, the level of fanaticism Bahari commands, you see it. It'll be far too dangerous and unwise for Tinubu to come out and say the things you're suggesting. And she said, there are ways, I admit and accept, that there are ways it could be done. It doesn't have to be done so bluntly. There are ways it could be done. And again, like you said, they might have tried to do these things without getting too far. And, And I'm also... And I'm also not sure how much power Buhari continues to exercise over his government, given his physical state and his alleged 
mental state. You know, I'm not saying he's crazy, but I'm saying that, you know, people are saying, and maybe true, maybe not true, that he's not fully aware of what's going on around him. This is not me trying to excuse him because his yep. mere his mere presence is is emboldened some people to carry out their own agendas. So the fact that he's there and he's a president, all buck stops at his table. But I'm saying there 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 are other underlying things and reasons. As soon as Tinubu comes out and says the thing just as Destiny should say, you plunge the country into further crisis. Well, I, I, uh, but that's the uh, problem. The problem is the country is already in crisis, so it, it won't be Tinubu plunging the country into crisis. The, the reality of the situation is, I think one of the things I've learned from observing British and American politics is there is a time for politics and there's a time for statesmanship. Mm-hmm. And I think Nigeria has reached the point where we now need statesmanship to come to the fore. And for all my disagreements with uh, Tinubu's political style, the one thing I know is there are some things he won't sign up to. And I know Tinubu would not sign up to this nonsense because this is not his way of operation. This is not so, the southern style. To be very yeah. honest, and like we said before, you know, like I've said just a few minutes ago, the southern and the southwesterners have more often than not found themselves in the middle. Yes, so the the southwest as is is there is is not the southwest political elite. There they might just be as corrupt as every other political elite. But when it comes to this kind of ethnic supremacy, this is not their thing at all. So, but what I'm saying is this is time for Tinubu to now be a statesman. The same way B.C. Akonde spoke up because B.C. Akonde was the first to speak up. I don't know if you remember that long speech he gave where he said he, he actually almost cried at Buhari's nephew's uh, wedding. We need something like that from Tinubu to say, look, this, uh, this, has, this, has passed, this has gone past, as they say in Wari, rough play. This is now a serious matter. You cannot be governing this, this country is, like you're... This you're is the looping. proverbial handshake that has reached the elbow. Yeah, exactly. But so here's, here's the thing now. We, we lament about the issues. Again yes. and again and again and again. Now, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a young Southeast person who's politically aware. Say I'm exactly the same, but I just happen to be evil. What would I want? And even that's presumptuous, but let's play the game for a moment. What would I want? I know myself, and I know that if I were evil, I would be listening to Namdi Khan. Now, there, there, there are things that he says that makes my skin crawl. You know, all the anti-Yoruba sentiments and all that and all that. It, yes. it grosses me out. And it's like, on that level, I can see why people think it's dangerous. Because you think young people are very impressionable. And if you keep pointing out a group, if it's not the Yoruba as a house, if you keep pointing out a group as the cause of their problem, they are going to believe you. Because yes. we all know young people have problems. A lot of young Nigerians, there's no jobs. There's no outlet for their creativity. A lot of young people suffer from that same pathology right now, Right. Yeah. So, but he and he keeps pointing out ethnic groups as being other ethnic groups as being the cause of those problems. Now, that is where I think he's supremely dangerous. Okay, but that aside, as much as you can put something that big aside, that aside, the issue he's raised about the lack of will, the lack of will on the part of Nigeria to really involve the southeast, and as a result, the southeast needs to go solo. These these are issues that would be very attractive to me. Okay, so and now I'm attracted to Namdu Kanu. I believe everything he says. What to you would be the next step as a Kanu supporter? Imagine if you were a Kanu supporter. What would be palatable to you right now if you agree or accept 
that Biafra as a dream is not immediately achievable. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's never going to be achieved, but yeah. immediately say and by immediate I mean maybe it's for the next two election cycles, three, whatever. It's not what will be palatable to you today. Well, I think the uh, first thing would be what I think a few uh, writers, Nigerian writers, have uh, termed economic freedom. So I think that could be a first step, economic freedom, which is what, to an extent, was happening in Nigeria pre-2015. So the Igbos, obviously you can't generalize, but a lot of them are a trading people, and they were doing business. So many of them were not even looking at politics. And Buhari's decision to impose restrictions on uh, forex movements seriously destroyed many of their businesses. Because many of these guys were going to China, going to Malaysia, buying goods, bringing them back. And all of a sudden, they couldn't get foreign exchange anymore. That's that's one of the key triggers that, uh, one of the key triggers of the blowing up of this IPOB movement. You people had more time on their hands to get involved in politics. So in the short term, I'd say, if you want to calm the nerves. What a goal! Oh my Lord, what a goal! Sorry. I'm watching Manchester United and Everton. What a goal! Valencia, what a goal! Sorry, yes. <laughs> I was scared you've actually made me panic. I was thinking, what the hell is going on? <laughs> told me the DSS had raided your apartment. <laughs> you should see this goal. What a wonderful volley from outside the box. Wow. Wow. Yeah, sorry, Michael. Sorry. Well, I don't watch football, so I'm not... Uh, <laughs> I don't engage in such, as you know, Kuzi say, such... Uh, uh, bourgeoisie activities, <laughs> or bourgeois activities. But yes, so I think ec- economic freedom would be one uh, idea that they could uh, push. So let them trade freely, let them do business, let them create wealth. So that'll be my first thing. The second thing is they should also engage more in their activism. So if you want, if you generally want this either independence movement or restructuring movement, then spend your time enlightening the masses around you, educating people at the same time, engaging with foreign movements, the media, building up your exactly. your presence so that one day the the, the numbers become so large that okay. the, the movement right. becomes unstoppable. Okay, fine, I accept. And I think an iPod that can turn up a million people suddenly yes. becomes very attractive for the southwest of Parley with that I mean that's that's just me. So back again to the media. Now the media the Nigerian media makes me sick. I've said this many, many times, the news media especially. And I think a large, we, we discussed this in the episode last week that we did that I scrapped. A large part of the problem is that the media is too concentrated in the Southwest. So the media is kind of deaf to the feeling and agitations around the country. They sort of just find themselves repeating by, 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 by rote the things that the government says without, without examination, without interrogation. You know, that really upsets me because that's not their role. They're not there to just you know, act like a like a tape recorder and just press play whenever the the they record the government statements. Do you understand? So yes. this this I mean, I was young then, but I recall my my father has copies of Tell magazines, all these things that he used to gather when Abacha and and, and IBB were, were heads of state. You know, yes. so I I saw the fire. Yes. The articles, the fiery articles, the activism, the everything. Granted, right. The Southwest is part of this failing coalition, this failing government. So I suppose in some in some respects, 
half the mouths are closed. But then you've got the other mouths. And newspapers are not supposed to be at the behest and call of Southwestern politics. Yes, they play they play a national role for crying out loud. You know, yeah. which which national newspaper has gone to interview Namdi Kanu, has gone which TV station has gone to do a documentary, or you know, do you know what I mean? All these exposés that you get over here, which one of them has really left their comfort zone and gone there to find out the root cause? And at this point right now, serious people should be having national debates. Well, Na- televised national debates on some of these fundamental issues that makes the status quo unattractive. We should be having that right now because for everything you say about Namdi Kanu, if Nigeria were perfect, he would have no audience. The well, fellow well, has an audience because point. some things are on ground. Sorry, carry on. Well, the, uh, that's part of my, to be honest, part of my heartbreak with the 2015 elections because when Jonathan lost... Although it was, it was sad because I wanted him to win, I didn't really mind because at that point, I was happy with what I had seen in Nigeria, that from 1999 to 2015, we now seem to have a very vibrant uh, political system, a vibrant media, a vibrant uh, group of activists. So I genuinely thought that this level of energy would, would keep going. So I thought that no matter what uh, Buhari tried to do, he won't be able to get away with it because the energy was now there. In, in many respects, that's what's happening with Trump because Trump can't do as much as he wants because there's, there's a vibrancy in the American political system that is keeping him in check. So my real heartbreak is Buhari won and everything literally stopped. People well, the, who the, used collapse, to, the collapse of the PDP also contributed to that, but carry on. No, no, no. Even in America, forget what the Democrats are doing. You have journalists, you have activists who are everybody's making noise but i'm surprised that in uh nigeria's case with uh jonathan out there just seems to be a kind of strange silence does it mean that that activism that was sponsored or what well that's that's why a lot of people are actually saying that they're saying jonathan's defeat was actually a blessing in disguise because it's exposed many of the people for who they were. Mm. I think it's partly two reasons. I, I, I won't. I won't go along with that because I think there were definitely germane issues that 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 led and caused that vibrancy. Then I mean, Boko Haram was running amok, for example. But but, but they are still running amok. The, the question is, nobody's talking about it anymore. I oftentimes have to read new, foreign news to realize that. Oh, ah, no, no, no! It's not to the same extent, um, uh, Michael. Please, uh, it's definitely. I, I, it's not to the same extent. I, I'm not saying Boko Haram has been defeated, but it's definitely not to the same extent. That well, much is true. The last time I saw the figures, Boko Haram had killed some serious numbers since Buhari came into office. That was just as much as had been killed on uh, Jonathan. I was wondering how come nobody seems. I don't seem to know this. With the, the Fulani herdsmen were running. That, that I mean, that is an issue. That is a massive issue. Yeah. The Fulani herdsmen seem to just have the run of the land. You know, we're, yes. we're, even, no... we're even looking to create a, para, a, para, a paramilitary force to protect cattle. Yes. My so, goodness. So my point is, we're not seeing that level of energy, anger. I, I'm, because I should be told, I'm fine with people criticizing Jonathan because anyway, that's democracy. That's what I want to see. I used to debate at university, so I genuinely enjoy debate. So I like it when people were hitting Jonathan. But my, my issue is, hit Buhari the same way you were hitting him. How, how, how has this happened? That Okay, so from my, from my standpoint, a lot of the Southwestern voices, 
that were criticizing Buhari seem to have been co-opted into either supporting him or being silent. And that troubles me. Criticizing Jonathan. A lot of the a lot of the younger criticizing Jonathan, yeah, my bad. A lot a lot of the younger people, especially, I mean, look, these are people that I don't even rate, but they seem to know how to make noise. And these people are either in quotes on the volunteer media whatever the hell they are, or or they're in the media and they're just quiet. And it's really it's really disheartening because even if you accept that for the first time we've we've come out of the recession that Buhari exacerbated is a fact. I supported the guy, but I have no I have no qualms in telling that he exacerbated the recession. We've now slowly emerged from it, but that that remains to be seen because we've only had positive growth for one quarter. So yes. you know, let's see how it goes the next quarter. Fingers crossed, things keep improving in the lives of everyday Nigerian. The problem is everything else has gone to pot. Secu- yes. Internal security political debate, political discussions, uh, 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 the country's the country's continued existence, etc. Everything else has gone to pot. And these things bear talking about, you know. Yes, and, but, but nobody's saying anything. I mean, even when sometimes I listen to Nigerian political radio, you think you're in America because no serious issues are being discussed. Oh, they'd rather discuss Trump and yes. American political gossip. Yes, I mean, I used to read this day because then... You have the likes of Shegwa Deni, uh, Simon Kolawole. We used to hit Jonathan hard, but but there was there was proper analysis. You knew that mm-hmm. okay, there were political issues going on. Mm-hmm. He says, "I read the back page of this day, and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here?" Mm-hmm. Dilly Momoto is writing an article with neither head nor tail. Uh, Simon Kolawole starts from some. Does the does the fact that there's no, I mean, there's less money in the country have to do with any of these things? I mean, you know, there's no money. But, but the point is, if there was no money, then people should be angry. They should be angry. Exactly. They should be angrier, right? There should, there should be more urgency to things because people are hungry and angry. But there doesn't... Listen, Michael, I am so, so tired. Okay, there's that now. Now, let's talk about uh, the Adamawa Women's Minister, or Bono, whatever she comes from. The Women's yes. Minister for Women's Affairs. Yes, um, her, Mama Taraba. Uh, Mama Taraba, thank you. So she's from Taraba. Her recent outing against Buhari, I mean, according to the APC, she's apologized, but I interpreted that as she's been silenced. Her recent outing against Buhari and what that means for 2019, for me personally, I think it's positive. I think, and this might be me being wildly naive, but I think it's a sign that Buhari is not going to run. Because I think if you were going to run, such a declaration would not have been made so boldly. But that's neither here nor there. What does that reveal about the power play behind the scenes? Well, I think what's happening is the APC, as you as you well know, has never really been a party in the sense of a political party. I mean, they, they don't even have a, what do you call that, the national executive uh, the board of trustees hasn't met. They don't have a chairman and board of trustees. They haven't actually had an NEC meeting oh, in a while. Who says it's an SBV? Is this you, Eloka? One of you. Yes, Eloka started his special, yeah, special purpose vehicle. No, so but yes, it is. and the purpose has been achieved. So what's left? But, but going beyond the purpose being achieved, the problem is Buhari. On the one hand, is very dictatorial in the sense that he expects people to do what he tells them to do. But on the other hand, another thing about him that was obvious in 1984, but people are now realizing as well, is that he's indecisive. So when a difficult decision is brought to him, rather than turning left or right, he just doesn't do anything. So there's paralysis. So 
what is happening is you have a government. Some ministers have probably not seen the president since last year. Some of them don't talk to him. They have no access to him. Everybody's governing based on rumor and doing their own thing in their own silos. So I think what happened with Mama Taraba was she probably hadn't seen the president in months or years or whatever. She was just at some private meeting greeting Atiku and made that statement. I don't, it wasn't meant to be public. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. It was leaked. Yes, and somebody leaked it. But you see the way APC is turning on each other. DSS turned on EFCC. EFCC turned on oh. uh, AGF. A mess. The AG and the EFCC don't get along. Yes. The, uh, uh. So you see even Mama Daura's conversations with... Uh, I've forgotten the other dude's name. Yeah, it's been leaked. Exactly. So what's happening is the whole system is turning... They're all turning on each other. So I, I think we have to see it in that context. There's no there's no central figure in charge. So everybody's just doing their own thing, running their own show. So I don't think it's a case of Buhari is not running in 2019. I think it's more... I don't think he'll run. I've actually placed a bet with a few friends that I don't think Buhari will run. They insist he will. I don't think he will, but I might be wrong. But I think that's not but even the issue. we should know by next year, right? Yes, hopefully we should. But I think the bigger issue is that's just Buhari's nature. He doesn't know how to make decisions. I think... He thought about it and realized, okay, if I have to fire this woman, it means I have to appoint a replacement and then probably do some reshuffling of the cabinet. And he just realized that that's too much. It's too for, much. For, for, for reshuffling to have not taken place until now is astounding. Well, yeah, because he's seen that, you know, even in Britain, reshuffling is a serious political move. Because yes, yes, Michael, but there's no way. I mean, I know Nigerian politicians lie a lot and I know that all, all the 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 uh, mandarins lie to them as well but the point is there's no way they're telling him everything is well and everybody loves him i mean even if they're telling him that the fellow claims to read newspapers now the people well, the who love section. the people who love him the people who <laughs> the people who love him might have whispered a few words or two into a word or two into his ears you know which is all is not well at least to ginger the system you know you move a few chess pieces across the board to ginger the system he doesn't... Oh, no, I, but you're, you're making my point. You see, politics requires a certain level of backbone, mm. which is where you sit down, you pick your cabinet list. You have maybe 50 MPs in Britain. Let's say 50 MPs in my party. I pick mm. 10. What that means is I have to stare down the other 40 and tell them, look, I didn't choose you. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I didn't choose you. Mm-hmm. Buhari is not that kind of person. He doesn't want to have to have that conversation. So... He'd rather just keep the APC floating because he knows once he reshuffles the cabinet, Tinubu or Atiku or somebody won't be happy mm-hmm. with a choice. So he doesn't, he doesn't want to have to even make that decision. So he'd rather just bury his head in the sand. Unless it's something to do with uh, the South. That's when he gets angry. But aside from that, nothing else seems to... Uh, he doesn't want to be disturbed no, with no. political shenanigans. So essentially, this is the cabinet until 2019. Yeah, that's probably my guess. I might, I might be wrong, but I, I don't think APC. He doesn't do. He doesn't know how to do. I mean, you have a party with no board of trustees. There's no chairman because I think they said it was supposed to be Atiku. Tinubu wanted the job as well, and then Buhari realized, look, I'm too tired to choose, so let's just float along. So that's sort of the way he functions. What do you think could splinter the APC between now and 2019? 18, so late 2018, because yeah. Well, there are a number of factors. One, I think Buhari declaring that he'll run in 2019 itself could split the party. Do you know what? Because... Oh, one thing I just realized is that I don't think Buhari was ever meant to run for another term. Well, 
Though they never told us publicly, I remember in the primaries, one of the delegates said, one of the Yoruba delegates said, that everything's all right right now. You need a strong hand to steady the ship, and then we can continue on from there. Yes, so that's probably what he promised. But you know those things. Uh, politics is is the art of uh, negotiations. So what you promise is not necessarily binding amongst your peoples. But yeah, I think you, I think you're right. Maybe, maybe there was a plan for him to do one term, mm-hmm. and he's now decided he wants to do two or whatever. But I think him deciding to run could split it. Strangely enough, I think him not deciding to run could also split the party mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, the question is who will replace him. Mm-hmm. Saraki is now a, a principality, as they say. Mm-hmm. You have Tinibu's wing, you have Atiku's wing. Can they all agree on a compromise candidate? I don't think so because after what Buhari has done to, especially Saraki, Saraki would not Atiku. want to get himself in a position where Buhari will pick someone who will cause another round of problems, e.g. Elrufai, because Elrufai was part of the onslaught against Saraki. So that's one person who will be out of the question if Saraki is Senate president or still a strong man in APC. So it will be very, it will take a serious diplomat to be able to hold the APC together. My fear is Buhari is not that man. Do you know what, what scares me the most? If the APC falls, I was reading the, uh, Patrick Yakoba white paper. That was a white paper that was released after the 2011 uh, violence in Kaduna, and I was reading it. And you know, the board was com- the board comprised uh, senior Kadunans from all over, so Christians, Muslims, military, civil service. So it was it was a very like wide ranging board, yeah. And a few of the issues that they raised, not a few, more than a few, the politicians and the lack of stability in the political parties actually fueled the violence. Yes. And what scares me is that with the disintegration of the APC, and you know how, how the patronage system works, where our politicians would pay the clerks and the local strongmen, you know, the people who can command people, who have people, as we like to say. Yes. And factions will start fighting. Yes. <laughs> so that well, is, no, it's funny, Michael, but it's not funny because if the APC disintegrates, we're right back there. Well, but, but that's the uh, problem with Buhari's uh, economics because when PDP was in power the one thing they did was they pursued free market economics so there was the economy was, was booming people were making money but I, I told you with, with this your conclusion you have to take it easy but the point is but PDP is a national party it was it comprised all interests from all the nation you know so yeah. all the the old hegemony the, the newer upstarts, etc., etc. So PDP, it was a catch-all. Everybody was involved. But the APC has started from the need to wrest power from the PDP, right? So it's not founded on anything but that. Now that they've attained that, the disparate interests in the party are coming to the fore. Now, you've just said, if Buhari decides to run, the Southwest could say bye-bye. If he doesn't decide to run, the fight for who will replace him could also consume the party. And once that happens, interest, personal interest, will look to dominate. And in order to dominate, they have to show that they have people. In order to show that they have people, violence will need to be done to some people. So that's what I am scared of. Well, the... Not so much, not so much in the southwest. More up north. Whereas there could be... Uh, problems, which is why I said Nigeria needs is, is, is what I've always said to you. Even that's one of the reasons why I'm principally opposed to even El Rafa as president because 
a president Nigeria has always needs a cool, calm head in charge. If somebody else was president of Nigeria at this point, we could say, okay, even with the APC's problem, we think there's somebody there who can manage this problem or who can diplomatically resolve the issue. But we have someone in charge of your party. Your party leader is someone who does not even understand that concept of compromise and negotiation. Is, 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 Buhari, when, is Buhari the party leader? Well, yes, your, your president, your party yourself, leader. That, in, in, in theory, in practice, is he really? Because remember the tape that the interview that Aisha Buhari gave to the BBC? One of her chief complaints was that party people were being marginalized. People who didn't fight with them, as she said. Well, yes, but he's still the leader of the, the party, ones... just that he brought people in. Mm -hmm. So, which mouth is he going to use to say to people, oh, we in this party, let's be... He tried that. Remember, he tried that. When when the parliamentary uh, issues arose, he tried that, and it didn't work. He called all of them. You don't remember. He called... What? The, the he, meeting he... wasn't even televised. He called all of them to, to a meeting. He said, okay, for the sake of the party, for the sake of the country, blah, blah, blah. It did not work. Well, it, it, because it, 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 the thing with Nigerian politicians is not what they say, really. It's, it's their body language and their attitude. He should have done all that stuff even before the election because the issue began yeah, because he didn't even take an interest in who should be Senate president or speaker. Crazy, I agree. Yeah. So when it eventually happened, people could tell from his body language that, look, he's saying all this stuff because he needs to say, but the dude is not, he's not that bothered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, even under Abbasanjo, Jonathan Yaradua, you had the same problem where people said, oh, the president has brought people from outside the party to take key positions. Because even the likes of El Rufai, Okonje Wella, and uh, all the other technocrats who were giving big jobs in previous governments, there were complaints that these guys are not even PDP members. Mm -hmm. How have you brought them in and placed them in key positions? Mm -hmm. But the point is, you had presidents who were diplomats and who were negotiators and said, okay, I'll put this guy in finance, but to compensate you, I'll give you this instead. So there's a way to negotiate your, negotiate your way around these problems. Buhari's problem is he doesn't know how to do that. He's well, not even he's, interested. He's not, he's not much of a politician, to be very yes. honest. He's not much of a, And that's not a compliment. In Nigeria, yes. you need to be a politician because everything rests on politics. You need to know how to manage interests. You need to know how to disappoint somebody without making an enemy of them. You know, and well, he, he doesn't to, to be frank, Tola, this goes beyond politics. It's a normal life skill. Well, I mean, I mean we're, we're, we're speaking in terms of politics now. You know yes, but mean? even in life, you should have yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have it. I agree. You how to do stuff like that. Yeah. that what do you see as of this week? Because we'll probably still talk about this again in two weeks. But as of this week, as of today, what are yes. the latest developments you can share with our listeners that they should be looking out for? Oh, well, the... I think between now and 2019, the next... I think the key issue is what do the ex-heads of state say because they've all hinted that I think a few days ago Basin just said uh, Buhari should meet with Kanu, yeah. Kanu. Mm -hmm. Jonathan I think yesterday said look we need a council of states meeting. But he's not wrong Yes, <laughs> they're they alright so I think I think the, the next move should be what are the or the power brokers in Nigeria going to do between now and December because I think it gets to the point where even they are now saying look Something needs to happen. So that's what I'll be looking out for because it's clear no solutions are going to come from the ABC itself. I think outsiders are now getting together to decide what next. So that's that's one angle. The other angle is this uh, trip to London. Is this another extended stay or is this... So. I hope so.
some sort of one-off uh, thing. But in all these things, we also have to remember the the hand, as they say. I know some of you are not Christians, but there's or believers. There's the hand of God in all these things. Worry is not well. So we could wake up tomorrow and they'll tell you that look, uh, he's gone and Prof is now in charge because that's what happened with Abacha. The country came to the point where people were thinking what's going to happen, and then the next morning they announced Abacha is gone. Abdul Salami was now uh, in charge, and things just calmed down. So that is another strange. It's a wild card angle, but that is something that could realistically happen. Well, especially if things worsen in the southeast. Well, they're still uh, uh, consulting. How long are they going to consult for? Are they KPMG? Consulting, <laughs> consulting, consulting. Uh-uh. What's going well, on? They'll, they'll hold their primary soon. My guess is, I think uh, Sule Lamido is clearly in the race. Uh, you have, I think, Dan Kwambo is signaling that he wants to enter the race. Then we have uh, Fayoshe, who's also signaling. I beg you, My My theory on Fayoshe is slightly different. I think Fayoshe knows that when his term ends this year, Buhari is planning to come for him. So if he declares himself as a presidential candidate, then he, he can claim that they're trying to persecute me because I'm running for president. So I think there's a political reason why he's declared, but... My guess is, I, I think the person to watch is probably uh, uh, Sule Lamido or Dan Kwambo. Those are the two people to, to watch. Mm. Although, I mean, but the PDP still has a long way to go. It still has to get its act together. Luckily, the label, I mean, I thought Buhari would make that label bitter to a lot of Nigerians, but I think the PDP as a brand is stronger than ever. But, I mean, look, this, this iPod thing has really, really put me on edge. Um, I think of all the issues, of all the issues that Buhari has had to deal with. This is the one that could lead to things bursting at the seams. And it's it, my worry is such because it's organic. It's an organic feeling. It's an innate feeling. You know, yes. it's one that people actually feel inside and one that you can't dismiss. I mean, you can... Not that I'm trying to compare IPOP to Boko Haram because I don't think you can compare them on any level. But no. you can dismiss Boko Haram as having no cause, no justification for what they do. And yeah. everybody will agree with you, at least almost everybody. But you can't do the same with IPOP. Their cause, their, their, their rhetoric might be dangerous, but the underlying cause itself is one that is legit. So, well, but, but that's why Namdi Kano is a very brilliant uh, troublemaker, because I don't have regard for the man himself, but what he's done as a classic demagogue is to exploit legitimate grievances for his own benefit. So he's he's hit the nail on something. He's exposed Nigeria for what it is. So he started a movement that even if you kill him tomorrow, somebody else will raise the same issue because, as Martin Luther King said, says truth crushed to earth will rise again. Oh. Nigeria is a colonial oppressive state and the, this, the injustice cannot continue. No, I mean, I don't know how you... And I'm speaking just as a citizen, not even as a member of an ethnic group now. I don't know how you want people to swear allegiance to the same flag when from its inception the state is crooked. It just I mean it like it's it's sort of like a like like uh uh you see how the North won the war in the US? So yeah. as as a result, southern states will now have one senator each. You know, yeah. you know you know how the, the, the house of the what's the junior house in the US called? It's flown yeah. out of my mind. It's the Congress. The Congress. So yes. you know the Congress numbers are organic, so it depends on the growth of the population. So you can gain a congressman or you can lose a congressman, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
So it's sort of like, uh, yeah, that you say, okay, no matter what, the South can never have an extra congressman, no matter the growth. It'll always be, you know, New York, California, etc. I mean, and then you, you want Southerners to come and pledge allegiance to that same flag. I mean, the injustice is so inbuilt, it doesn't make sense. And for me as a Nigerian who is interested in the progress of the country, it's a wound. It's a sickness on the face of the country itself. And I don't see how any well-meaning person can deny that. So this issue I want addressed, I don't want it addressed via, via the elections, because I don't think the elections themselves can address it. I think we need to, we need all, all interested individuals to agree to a consensus that says this constitution, this current arrangement must go. Well, it, it, yes, it, it, the Senate, the, the, the parliament can't do it because they will look to protect their own interests. And again, like I said, the Southeast is already down in the parliament, so they can't force the issue. So, well, what can be done politically, I think is, yes, it's, it's, it goes beyond party politics, but at the same time, it's also party political in the sense that we have to make sure that whoever candidate you, as patient Jonathan will say, you press your hand for has to be someone who is on that same page and who is the kind of person that can kickstart the conversation. If you elect someone who is going to be there to maintain or entrench the status quo, then you cannot at the same time be saying, oh, I'm opposed to this system. Meanwhile, you then vote for someone who, who wants the system to remain in place. So for me, that that would be my criteria. If I, if I go back to Nigeria to vote in 2019... Do you have a voter's card, Michael? Who, me? Yes. Well, I had the old one. I don't have this new... Uh, so basically, uh, you don't have a voter's card. You don't have a voter's card. But, but I'm, going, I'm going to get one before... Yeah, I'm going to get one. This, yes, no, you can rest assured. You see me in Nigeria, I should be taking <laughs> voting. Uredo, local government area. Me, I'm going to get my voter's card because I plan to be on ground come 2000, 2019. What is it, February 2019? If yeah, probably about, uh, about February, yes. No, I, I will be there to, to vote and probably... If I see a candidate, I like probably work for the campaign team. But if not, I'll just put my backside on the fence. Excellent. I mean, look, I'm I'm depending on who they choose in the APC. I'm very open to supporting the PDP. I don't care. And if neither party chooses somebody I can align with, I'll cast them both from the fence and enjoy the view as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll, well, it'll be a fun place to be for once. Well, I'm just... Uh... To conclude on my part, I think I remember when I was at secondary school in Nigeria and we were at this sort of crossroads point with Abacha. And in the Catholic Church, we had to start saying that prayer for Nigeria. And I seriously think that we've now reached the point where those who believe in God or don't even have any belief, or we need to sprinkle some whiskey. If you can, someone like you who doesn't believe in God, maybe you could sprinkle some whiskey on Stop the floor or whatever, some hot drink. I believe in God. I'm just not religious. It's two different things. <laughs> okay, maybe you should sprinkle some whiskey on your carpet. But those of us who pray, then I think we're now at the point where we need to pray for the country because we've we've hit a roadblock. Oh, I mean, before I think... we forget, we didn't even address the declaration of IPOB as a terrorist group. Can you imagine? Well... As, as we've always said, this uh, Buhari government, everybody's doing their own thing. The army is running, chief of army staff is running his own mini states. Attorney general, he's doing his own thing. EFCC chairman is doing his own thing. Buhari is doing his own thing. So there's no, I mean, you saw what uh, Mercia Bank said. She said she was interviewing the foreign minister. Foreign minister didn't even know. 
But it wasn't I, the Shabi was the military that decided, even though they had yes. no power to do so. It was the military that unilaterally decided that IPOP was a terrorist organization. Why? I read I read the statement because some youth had um, Molotov cocktails and because <laughs> because one youth held an officer's rifle. As a result, IPOP is a terrorist. What the hell? Well, that's what you get when there's no leadership in the sense that Buhari is just. I'm sure we said this last time. I said. Buhari doesn't like things that inconvenience him. I think his main concern is his health. <laughs> He's not really bothered with the rest of us, so to be honest. No, Michael, don't laugh. Because you know what this declaration does? It gives the military the right to go in there very heavy-handed. Well, it, it's obviously a sarcastic laugh, but Buhari's main concern at the moment is probably the terrorist attack in London, Parsons Green. That's probably the thing concerning well, him. Because you have to be concerned about your home. London is his home now, so... Yeah, exactly. So he's more concerned that I hope Theresa May deals, captures those people because I don't want anyone disturbing my peace. <laughs> so, well, that's who we voted for. We have to take it four years' time. We all have our PVCs. We vote again for another Which divisive four years? candidate. It's one year. Let's not even say two years. It's a year because, like we said, we're entering the final quarter of the year. 2018 is all about political machinations. Yes. That's it. But yeah, oh, that's my point is... Uh, we have to make voting is a serious decision. Whoever you vote for, you have four years of the consequences to live with. So, my prayer, my hope is that Nigerians make the right choice. Whoever it is, we all vote for. You just make sure we've thought about the consequences. I mean, so I that, think I think it's time we vote forward now. Um, I think Buhari for a lot of people. I can't say myself included because I thought it was for progress. But Buhari for a lot of people was about was about uh, plugging the dike. So stopping the leak and blah, 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 blah. He wasn't necessarily about progress. So I think we have to vote forward this time. And hopefully the, the candidates that present themselves are men, because invariably there will be men. They are men of, of integrity, even if not vis-a-vis their finance, integrity of ideas, ideas that can, that can move the country from this rut into some kind yeah. of motion. You know, that, that is, oh, I need to stop thinking about Nigeria a bit. It's, it's, it's too much. It's entirely well, too much. To be honest, if uh, maybe if, if uh, Konja Wella throws a hat in the ring, or even Remy Shonaya, if she comes with a good plan, and to be honest, I'm behind the woman because uh, <laughs> I'm tired. Of she will come. Here. She will come with a good plan, but the point is, she won't really get the the traction. Well, she she won't get the traction because uh, I think a lot of Nigerians always vote with the status quo. But looking at business everywhere in the world, the real innovators are the disruptors. I think we... So the disruption should have, should have started from now. It's not until 2018 that you now suddenly say, oh, uh, what's the party called? The Blackberry Party. Kowa. You now start saying, oh, Blackberry Party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you now start saying, Kowa is here. What's that? It's now. It's now. It's now. You know. no, that, that's but that, that's what I generally think. I, I agree that they should be doing more work, but like you're rightly saying, should have started. I start long ago, but my point still is, I think if we want real change, then we have to be voting for disruptors. That's one of the reasons why I liked Jonathan. He was a disruptor in the sense that he didn't come from the 96 gang. They didn't want him because he wasn't their person. So 20, I don't want to go back into the past because we've had this debate, but I think 2019, we need a disruptor. If we vote someone who's from the status quo, then we're more likely than not to get the same issue issues again, over and over again. Mm. But obviously, uh, I only have one vote, so everybody has to make their own decisions. Indeed, indeed. 
our darling listeners, you've heard the man, and he, cer- he certainly shares the same sentiments as I've got, which is, you know, we keep thinking for, it's only four years, but four years is a lot, because now, unfortunately, Buhari has set us back. In some in some respects, there's been some progress. You know, you have some bodies that are remitting 20 times what they ever did under Jonathan or under any administration. <laughs> wait, wait, not just not just Jonathan. Under any administration, that's that's minor progress, you know. But the, at the same time, Michael is laughing because he is is burning him right now. But at the same time, at the same time, internal security has collapsed. So I think, with all due respect to every voter out there, competence over corruption this time. Mm? Competence over corruption, and let's all keep watch of the southeast situation where we can speak out, let's speak out, let's not watch the military go gung-ho against our fellow citizens. Whether we belong to the same ethnic group or not, it's irrelevant. They are our fellow citizens, they are our friends, our brothers, our husbands and wives, you know, so it could very well be us tomorrow. So let's not be quiet. We'll be seeing injustice. Let's all speak out in the ways that we can. Thank you for joining us today once again, and we hope that it has been a good and enlightening episode for you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me again. You're most welcome.